And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold a pale horse, and his name that said on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with the sword, and with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Welcome everyone, this is A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zell and Heidi to talk about plagues and God's role in them. Zellwyn, how are you? I'm doing well. We're kind of in the midst of a little bit of a lockdown now, I suppose. Not like other states, not, nothing like your state, but... I think we're all being affected by everything that's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Even even in North Dakota, you're uh, you're going to be affected, although if not infected. And so that's <laughs> where we are. And I know a lot of people are thinking right now, the last thing I want to hear about is pandemic and plague and pestilence. And it's true, fam. That's the last thing we want to hear about, too. We're going to talk about biblical plagues a little bit. And what that means for us as Christians, understanding that you're going to hear all this in the context of the recent unpleasantness. But before we do that, how's the weather? <laughs> the weather is quite nice today. It's actually kind of sunny. You don't even hardly need a coat outside. But then again, you know, when it's like 20 below, I don't think you need a coat outside. But that's beside the point. So, Well, we don't all have such a thick hide like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's it it really is quite nice. I mean, we're still quite a ways away from being able to plant anything because, you know, winter's not really over, but it's a nice breath of fresh air in the midst of of winter right now. But what about you, Willie? It's uh just waiting on spring. A little bit chilly today. Uh, we actually had some sleet a couple days ago. Uh that was nice. So really kind of hoping that some spring weather can get here and uh maybe get cracking on the garden. You know, I'm an optimist, as you well know. And <laughs> so other than that, pretty mild. I, You know, at least we're not like, I think Colorado just got hit with a blizzard. So hmm. okay. these are, these are or, you know, a couple days ago, but don't hold me to that. And if you're listening but, to this podcast years from now, sorry, it's not going to make any sense. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so that's where we're, that is where we're at. Salt Lake City had an earthquake. <laughs> it's just these are wild locusts are descending upon Israel. No, but it's no time to panic. It's no time to panic. And <laughs> things are just just crazy right now. Well, you you say that you're an optimist, Willie. I I think I'm genetically predisposed to be a bit gloomy. So 
Well, no, you. Well, yeah, I, I suppose so. That is that is in your DNA. I was just going to say maybe I'm optimistic about the impending doom. I don't know. <laughs> well, there's 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 much to be optimistic about because the Lord God is in control of all things. So yeah, God but, God is in heaven, and since we are all quarantined right now, this does give us a time to reflect on this, mm-hmm. and and you're going to hear a lot of conflicting theology out there, even more so right now. People not knowing how to deal with these kinds of events biblically. Really, uh, if we look at like any plague in Scripture, it's generally meant to do what, Zelman? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going through Joel right now, and of course there's the great grasshopper plague descending on Israel. Kind of ironic, but... <laughs> The the whole point that that Joel points to is to, is God calling His people back to repentance. So I mean, plagues, pestilence, all of these things, whatever it might be that the Lord God is sending, it's always meant as a kind of wake up call to His people: a a turn away from your sins, turn back to God, do what is right, and you know, or as in the language of Amos, you know, let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Right. Right. And so any time of struggle is actually good for the Christian as it is meant to draw them toward God. And that's really the operating theme for today, for this episode. Well, for life, I guess, too. But, (laughs) you know, what do we do uh, with that? And can we see the hand of providence even in times of difficulty? And the answer is absolutely yes. There's a lot of talk about who to blame for this. Who do we blame for this new virus, right? Well, right. those questions are good geopolitically. You know, that, that these are things we want to, to do. But theologically, a lot of people would like to say, well, God never does anything like this. And he certainly wouldn't send bad weather. And he certainly wouldn't, wouldn't let us be stricken with a, with a disease. And then we're back to a common problem that we talk about with Christianity today, and that's a kind of implied deism on the part of some. That, well, since bad things happen in the world, God can't be a part of that, so God doesn't control these things in the world. Right. And that's not the, uh, that's not the proper way to look at this. Uh, and all that said, too, I, I would add that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. I, I won't spoil any surprises about anything we might be talking about. So... <laughs> So, Zelwyn, can God send a plague? Yes. But but even to people who aren't the bad guys. Yes. <laughs> right. Because we're, we're willing to accept it because of those Egyptians, you know, in Exodus. Right, right. <laughs> but what, what would be a biblical example of God sending a plague upon his people? Well, I mean... There's just so many. I mean, where do you even start? <laughs> right. Flip a Bible I mean, open to any page and you'll get there. And you'll hit something. I mean, you could start with, like, for example, Joel again, which I mentioned, and the grasshoppers coming upon his people. God is sending his great army on Israel, on his own people. But if you want, you know, but then you might say, well, you know, they, they deserved it because they are for their sins. You know, we still try to make it. It's going on the bad people. But what about, you know, the, the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel who say you have to be taken out of the land. This disaster of war is coming upon you 
and you're going to go regardless. Even his, the remnant is going to go into exile, but right. God will bring his people back. So, right. I mean, it's not just the sinners that this is coming upon, but also God's people as a whole right. are suffering as a result of this, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is, it's always these, these kind of questions of, is this a, is this a judgment upon us for something that we did? And we are very quick to say, no, it can't be. But yet, even in the New Testament, there are judgments or, or, or afflictions that people suffer from the hand of God for their own sins, like Ananias and Sapphira, for example, for right. lying to the Holy Spirit, they're struck dead. Now, I'm not saying that this pandemic is is some kind of divine retribution. I am saying, however, that in the Lord's providence, it is meant to draw us closer to him. And that's that's what the attitude should always be. Not everything is Sodom and Gomorrah, but a lot of this is more similar to biblical events than we would like to say. And I and and here's the here's the strange thing, um, and and the very difficult thing. You're seeing really beautiful stuff happening in a way. People who are probably interested in hearing sermons for the first time in a long time because they are right. scared and uncertain. That's not a bad thing that they're drawn to the word because of that. We are seeing a lot more pastors online. I don't know if that's good or bad at this point. Um, <laughs> as, the, as we're here online again. As we are here on. online, right? Well, normally we would say, listen to the podcast, but please go to your actual churches, but can't do that right now. And, <laughs> you know, that, that's been the difficult thing. Um, th- these decisions to close churches, I would hope for most of us were difficult ones to make if you've made that decision. Right. Um, and I, I must say, uh, just speaking frankly, that so you drive through town to go get necessities and you see virtually every business is still open. Right. Virtually every business, but the churches are closed. So when the son of man comes, will he still find faith on the earth? The The spirit of the antichrist you know, precedes his arrival. And I, and that's not, I'm not talking about the, the churches that closed in compliance with the mandate. That's not a judgment on the pastors and leaders at all. I'm talking about the government here is what I mean, just to be clear. That, that what they're urging to stay open versus what they're urging to close is very telling. And so if we ever wondered if the state was the friend of the church today, well, if you didn't know by now, certainly not. And so again, want to be very clear, not not coming down on 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 pastors who have to make difficult decisions, trying to obey, let's say Romans thirteen, to try their best, and and finding you know workaways if it's smaller services or, or workarounds, whether it's smaller services, um, internet services, that kind of thing. But it just what what the culture considers essential versus non essential is just very telling to me. You're you're just you're just bringing all the spicy memes right up front. Here, <laughs> That's right. So. That's right. It it's just it I mean I'm trying not to go full, you know, Bill Cooper or or, or anything here. I'm really not trying not to. <laughs> trying not to. <laughs> but it does it does really make one think. And then in a general sense too, for a lot of Americans, this is not something that they're used to dealing with, so they don't know how how to handle that. They're not used to a mild form of scarcity. They're not used to um really having to be careful about where they travel. And so it becomes mentally and spiritually dangerous to a lot of people. Sure. And, you know, as we've said, even on this show, 
what people assumed jokingly, but we meant it like, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of preparation. <laughs> we talk about gardening a little bit, right? Um, part of that is so that you can provide for yourself a little bit. I, I, I wonder like if, if people in say Venezuela are coping a little bit easier with this right now than your typical American, I, I don't know. All, all I'm saying, Willie, is is that maybe for the uh, the artwork for this episode, we should have Victory Garden posters or something like that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. See, some of y'all never watch the Waltons, and it shows. Um, <laughs> no, but it, but it, it but it is. And so, uh, you know, when we were planning this episode, we were joking about: is this going to be one of our weird episodes, or is it just going to be kind of straightforward? And I think I can already tell it's going to get weird, uh, and that's okay. <laughs> That's okay. We, we, I don't know if we've had a really weird one in a while. It's so. been a while. It's been a lot of just dry 19th century history for a few weeks. So it's time <laughs> to get back into some esoterica here. So, all right. So we, we've discussed God as one who does have a hand in the weather and in health and in things like that. God is active. And, and through these difficult times, God is calling us to himself. And my caution to our listeners is to not give Satan too much credit in this. Because I've seen that attitude out there too. Well, this is from the devil. Well, I don't know that he has those powers. I don't know how far his Job powers continue. Uh, But I, but I think again, that's a, that's a, that's a dangerous thing to tread on because when you start saying, well, it's Satan, it's Satan, it's Satan. Well, does that make you turn to God? Does that, or does that make you focus on the devil? That would be my question. Yeah, and I mean, even when you're dealing with the the question of Satan in the book of Job, for example, and the things that he is doing, I think people, you know, are very quick to say, you know, oh, this was the devil who did it, you know, you know, God let him do it. But you'll note in the end of the book of Job that God doesn't come to Job and say, oh, well, it was actually the devil. You just didn't have enough faith or something like that. Job comes in the end and says, you know, who are you to talk, you know, to question me in this way? God who comes are you? in the end. Yeah, God comes in the end and <laughs> yeah. says, you know, wh- where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? You know, can you tame Leviathan? Can you, you know, conquer all of these things? You know, do you know right. where the, the rain comes from? So it's not him saying, you know, it wasn't really me all along. It's God saying that, no, I... It, this did come from my hand, and you know we are called to to bear that in patience and and in good and well in good Christian patience. Something that Job was severely lacking by the end of the book. Right, right, right. I mean, as God says in Isaiah, "I form light and create darkness. I bring prosperity, or I make well being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things." Right, and it's. It's really it's it's refreshing when you can just accept that God is who he says he is. And so if God here is in control of this, then there is a divine purpose to it as there is in everything. There is no right. purposeless evil in the world. God does not permit evil in the world simply for the sake of you know just letting it go. It's it will serve some sort of purpose ultimately. And the perpetrators of the evil, of course, will be held accountable insofar as they don't repent. I think, um, you know, we we want to kind of say, well, this is how God worked in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament, because Jesus came and our sins are forgiven. So God's cool. (laughs) And that is 
kind of the attitude that, that's there. Man is reconciled to God, but we are still called to that life of repentance, and we are still fallen creatures, so we still need sometimes a very stark reminder of our need to repent. God does send hard times so that he may make strong Christians. Right. And and weak times, as we've seen, has have, have really made us uh, weak spiritually. Well, even in the New Testament, when you're dealing with the question of Satan, I know that, you know, Peter says that he is a roaring lion seeking those whom he would devour. But at the same time, you you look at like the Gospels, for example, and, and Satan's interactions with Christ, Satan ultimately cannot act apart from God's control. You know, I mean... Satan has to leave when and Christ commands him to go. The devils have to leave when Christ commands them to go into the pigs, for example. You know, these things that come upon us don't just sort of happen so that God is now reacting to them as if he was as powerless as we were to, you know, to deal with these things. Right. All of these things come because the Lord, our God, is, I mean, like you said so nicely, is sending them as a way of testing us and and conforming us to himself. And it is true that the world is the domain of the devil in a in a sense. That is a biblical right. theme that you see. But what does Christ say? To take heart, I have overcome the world. And right. so while Satan reigns, so to speak, temporarily, he is now utterly defeated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is enthroned Lord over all creation, not just the world, not just this this playground that the devil kind of has for now. And so, yeah, we definitely don't want to give him more credit <laughs> than what than what he's due. And and so so now it's the it's the same situation Christians have always found themselves in, but a little bit more obvious, because as we pointed out in this first segment, we are still struggling with sin, death, and the devil in the world. I guess we could put that under sin, but the same enemies that we've had are still there. And so now we just see it a little bit more clearly. I I think it's more fun though, Willie, to, you know, go around saying things are just the devil, you know, like, like the old, you remember that movie, the water boy with a uh, mama always saying uh, things. <laughs> the devil? I do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's the way we should approach things. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's a little like the, the seventies, uh, when after the Exorcist, everybody was trying to get a uh, get out of crimes, claiming the devil made him do it. <laughs> hey, I don't know, but the the, the satanic panic might actually be real, though, fam. Well, now <laughs> we should do an episode on that. I mean, just saying, everybody laughs at it until you dig into it a little bit, I guess. <laughs> oh, look how sensational the TV was in the eighties. That's quaint now. And at least, yeah. and at least they wanted to keep yeah. children away from devil worshippers. It's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. coming up. Satanic panic episode is going to happen. We'll get Koontz in on that one too. <laughs> it's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. If you like, if you want more of that content, let us know in the comments. We'd love yeah, to do exactly. it. <laughs> I think you'd enjoy that just a little too much. A little really, too but... much. Well, you know, it is what it is. I'll start yelling into the microphone and selling dietary supplements before too long. <laughs> no, no, we're we're much more Art Bell than Alex Jones here at Word Fitly Spoken, to be clear. To be clear. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> that's the first segment. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. 
A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The Word, front and center, in doctrine, in history, in life. That's the mission of a word fitly spoken. We've got more on the way. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we are back. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi talking about plagues, God's providence, and, I don't know, the need for shortwave radio broadcasting eventually. <laughs> so that is that is where we are. We introduced this subject in the last segment. Now we're really going to dig in a little bit more into some biblical texts. You'll sort of see a theme in part of this. We are using um, some apocalyptic texts, but again, this is not telling you that this is the end of the world. Remember, it's a it's a general kind of discussion that we just happen to be having in the middle of this pandemic. Anything <laughs> we tell you is meant with this caveat, that insofar as you cling to Christ, you are safe. The other caveat is, insofar as you refuse to cling to Christ, you are unsafe even in good health and in good weather. And so... We have to rest securely in Christ in all of this. In any biblical disaster, that is the admonition that the Lord is going to see you through this, and the Lord is your helper. He is your rescuer. He is the, and so, so nothing we say is meant to dampen the hope that the Christian has in Christ, and Christ is the hope of the world. I could not imagine going through something like this without Christ, Zelman. I, I, yeah, I mean, if you don't have Christ, what do you have? I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, this is the... 47 the gallons of milk, apparently. <laughs> and 16 packets of, of toilet paper. Of toilet paper. Um, I mean, <laughs> seriously. I mean, if, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. If, if you don't have Christ, I mean, even, even in good times, as you said, you know, what, what do you have? This is like the, the, the rich fool who raises up barns to take care of his grain and and God comes to him in the night and says fool this night your soul is required of you you know and God's and the the exact point of that parable is to say you know watch out lest you are rich towards yourself and not towards God so yes absolutely if you don't have Christ in the middle of this you have no hope i mean i don't know how much more blunt we could be about it right and, we, and like i said we'd tell you that in good times too <laughs> but even even more now, this really and here I just said we aren't going to focus on this unpleasantness, and here I go. I think that this is behind a lot of the panic buying too. I mean, people just they want security, and that's not a bad thing to desire. But the way people were going about it was at the expense of their neighbor, and at and at the expense of a, of a lot of other things. I'm talking about with the hoarding, with that sort of thing. Right, there was just that right. that initial panic. It does seem that those things are settling down, that that shelves are 
starting to be restocked and that sort of thing. As an aside, I would remind you all to pray for your Teamsters right now because they're keeping this country running, <laughs> our truckers. And and two, to remember the cashiers and the blue-collar folk, the regular American people who are keeping this country together. It's 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 a tremendous, surely a tremendous stress on them. And, uh, and so, you know, we want to keep them in our prayers. All that said, this really just highlights how insecure people really are. And I'm, you know, to say nothing of general food insecurity anyway, but that, that people, when there's just a, 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 a supposed relatively brief period of time of sacrifice, which is what it was initially, that their first reaction was to, to basically enter into war with everybody around them. There's, that's the nature of the world. It, it shouldn't surprise you, but it does when you see it live, right? <laughs> like it's just one of those things. So anyway, yeah. but I mean, sorry, and, go ahead. And the the thing that I couldn't get over too is like talking to some of the the grocers and the store owners here, and even in North Dakota, you know, it wasn't so bad with the locals, but you had people coming in from even out of state to buy up some of these things during the initial panic, and it's just the 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 it's just crazy, is what it is. It, it you wonder how you can get caught up in such a whirlwind of panic and and think that this is going to you know buy you the security that you need i mean yes we need the earthly things we need to find some sort of you know supply so that we can live our lives but at the same time really <laughs> well i mean okay it's a, okay here's the toilet paper thing first of all you should have ample toilet paper anyway that's just a grown <laughs> you're a grown man or woman, you should know this. Really, running out of toilet paper is a mistake you make once in your life, and then never again if you can avoid it. And, and th- that's where, that's where we're at. I, I, w- I wish I had Charmin stock right now, or whoever owns Charmin. It's probably pretty good. So anyway, anyway, uh, we are not promised ample toilet paper in the scriptures. That is not a gospel promise, but but it is a first article gift that we should exploit when we can. Just, Oh, man. <laughs> so anyway, the Bible, wh- where should we go first? Well, why don't you, why don't we start with the passage that you read as part of our opener here, which, of course, is Revelation chapter 6. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you want to set some of the background for this passage? Oh, that's a tricky one. we talk about right? it. I know, I know, but we got to do it, so. Right, well, uh, you set it up, then we'll, then I'll... Then you'll get worked up and go on for a couple minutes. Yeah, I'll I'll take us down to too many rabbit holes. (laughs) We know how the pattern works by now. So, (laughs) Well, in the book of Revelation, of course, John is giving a vision of Christ overcoming. I mean, and also this idea of what what the church is going to suffer in a world which is increasingly opposed to it. But ultimately, we'll see the victory in Christ at the end. So, I mean, that's kind of the the main themes of Revelation. We don't want to think of it as some sort of scary book that's giving us this, you know, scary future. It really is a victory unto victory for the church. Well, so, and then, so then we get to Revelation 6, and it's the famous four horsemen, which are, of course, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. (laughs) And (laughs) how do they figure into this? (laughs) <laughs> Tune in at eleven. Um, <laughs> uh, that would be a fun episode of Word Fitly talking about all the old wrestling. That's right. But well, hey, nothing's stopping us. 
That's why we don't have subscriptions. We don't have we don't have shareholders to answer to. Um, but no, we're talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so you have a scroll in God's right hand that is sealed with seven seals. And so the Lamb of God opens the first four of the seven seals, which summons these four horsemen. Zechariah and Ezekiel also describe them. Right. And it's an interesting bit of interpretation. You know, who are the four horsemen? Uh, are there even four of them? Because there's an ancient interpretation that has it being Christ riding four horses. Hmm. There's other interpretations that, that come later on. That's it's the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, if you want to, you could be like some did and make it about the Roman Empire's prosperity. I don't know. We're going to take an eschatological view and say it has to deal with end times difficulties, we'll say. Sure. So regardless of who is riding them, you 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 still have to deal with what they bring. Right. And, and so they're bringing pestilence, famine, and death. Right, and, right. And so th- this, is, this is what the church can expect to suffer. Well, I mean, you're dealing with, for example, the first horse, the white horse, and the rider having a bow, and he's coming out conquering, so you have war coming onto the right. earth. Right. And you have the red horse, the second one, and again, you know, this kind of destruction that comes from con- conquering, as well as the, the third horse, the black horse, with famine in his wake, and the scales, you know, don't hurt the, the, the wine, or you don't, don't harm the oil and the wine and all of that. And of course, the fourth one, which is death, and he is bringing death in his wake as well. But right. the, the point of all of this, I think, and the reason why we're bringing it up is a couple of things. And that's, first of all, you'll note that these horses do not go out until the lamb actually breaks the seal. Okay, so this is happening as God is actually, you know, causing it to happen. These things go out into the world because God is sending them into the world. This is not him just kind of, again, standing back and watching as if it was happening without him. God is the one who is ultimately in control of all of this. But also, I think another thing that's interesting to point out here is when it says that, like the fourth, for example, in verse eight, has authority over a fourth of the earth. It's not a complete destruction at this point. So, you know, I think sometimes when we think of God's sending these things, we think that it's going to be, you know, a biblical proportion, destroy absolutely everything kind of a thing. But no, God sets boundaries and he has his specific purposes in sending these things so that when we suffer these things, which we will, because, you know, this is part of what it means to be the church, even as we are looking forward to victory. When we suffer these things, God is sending them for specific purposes. And again, this is going to be a theme that we come back to, that the church will suffer. Christians are not exempt from suffering. And that theology that says that kills faith. There are Lutherans who believe that, and they ought not do that because they should know better. Um, There is, within some forms of Christianity, a latent hedonism, I'm afraid. And it lends itself well to this idea that Christianity is about the removal of suffering or escaping from suffering. And that's only true in one sense, in the eternal sense that you want to overcome or that you want to escape hell. But embracing Christ is to take up his cross. And so that implies, well, it's actually rather explicit. It doesn't imply anything. It's explicitly taught in scripture that we will 
suffer. And so just the general idea that we'll escape all chastisement or suffering or persecution is is just unfounded. And most people recognize that, that the, that the church is going to suffer persecution. But there are also those who believe that the church will be taken away at the end times and won't have to suffer some of the worst persecution. Right. And uh, we would we would reject that view. At least I would. I don't know where you stand on the on the rapture, Zelwyn. Uh, I think I've made it kind of obvious up to this point, but yeah, no rapture. So, right, and this isn't to black pill you all. I mean, you all know this, and and but you also know that God's mercy endures forever, and He gives generously to His children. So even though we we face some scarcity and we are called to make sacrifices, that doesn't mean that God isn't still richly blessing us, both spiritually and uh, temporally. Take take. Uh, we'll go on a little bit in, in chapter 6, for example, with the fifth seal. I think this is actually a very telling point with yes. all of this, because so you have... Verse 9. Right, starting at verse 9. Um, I'm not going to read all of it, but basically you have the, the, the souls under the altar who have been slain because of God, crying out to God, you know, in verse 10, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So in other words, these saints who are now under the altar, who are crying to God for vengeance, you know, they have suffered much for the sake of the kingdom. You know, they have been actually killed because of Jesus and because of the testimony of Jesus. But what are they told? In verse 11, they're given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So these things are coming upon us, yes, for the sake of Christ, but we see that even in with these souls who are crying out that there is comfort given to them because their suffering, their their crying will come to an end at some point, and then God will be entirely victorious over all things. So, I mean, we don't want to think of this as a giant black pill and say, you know, plague and pestilence and suffering is is proof that we don't have faith or something like that. The very fact that we are in Christ means that we are going to suffer with Christ and maybe even die with Christ. But ultimately, Christ will raise us again and, and give us victory over all of these things. So if we must suffer with him, if we must die with him, we will also live with him. Amen. Um, yeah, absolutely. 100% correct. And our life is meant to be a dying to self, right? It, it, we have to die now so that we won't die when we die. And I really think through this, you know, through the current pandemic, this is a rather still rather mild at this point. Now, this podcast could age terribly, <laughs> but it, but even still, it's people are staying home with their families and cooking and doing a lot of rather wholesome and, and good things right now. So even in the midst of that, and there are people who have time to read the scriptures and pray that normally wouldn't, you know, unless they're part of an essential business. Which is apparently ninety five percent of business of businesses, but <laughs> but um, and, and again, it's it's. I'm not trying to make light of the situation, people losing jobs, that sort of thing. Not making light of that at all. And we need to be there for them to kind of pick up the pieces when this is when this all shakes out. But it is a time now where we can make the best use of the time. So right. listen, this is the rare t- case where I'll say, maybe listen to more good podcasts. 
<laughs> read read books, read good books, read the scriptures, um, pray. It's a great time to really, if we've neglected those disciplines, to start to shore them up. Uh, so we can we can really make something good out of this. Um, it, it is interesting how God makes stronger people via hardship, right? Right, right. And it's only when, and this is true in our time, but also true in biblical times, when things were easy, people began to fall away. And people will fall away when great persecution comes too. It's kind of my point here, that if we grow weak, will we in easy times will we, will we be able to withstand when true difficulty arises and that's a question that each christian has to ask his or herself and you know again it's not dampening smoldering wicks here or, or crushing the bruised <laughs> reed at all uh you know trusting christ boldly is what we're saying but also but, but we're asking people to, to sincerely reflect and that's what we're doing and maybe right. maybe, maybe i can speak for Zoe a little bit maybe we just have cabin fever and so we're just gassing <laughs> off for this whole hour. Maybe. Although, you know, what you're saying, I think, is is right on point, and maybe even to draw a little, even more from the text here, I think it's quite telling that after the sixth seal is broken, So, but I'm not going to talk about the sixth seal, you have that very important chapter in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, with the sealing of the 144,000 and the great multitude, which is coming from every nation. Of course, you know, we have as our one of our um, commercial tunes, you know, Behold a Host, so maybe I'm just a little bit partial to this passage. But <laughs> but my point is, is that in the midst of all of these things which God is sending, okay, God is the one who is breaking the seals, God is the one who is sending the horses, God is the one who is sending, you know, the the earthquakes and all this sort of thing. But in the midst of all of this happening, he is also sealing his people. You know, he is bringing forth a great multitude that no that no one can number from every nation, tribe, peoples, and languages who stand before God and cry out to him in verse 10, chapter 7, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so you have this worshiping of God in the midst of all of this suffering and as a way of showing that even if we do suffer with Christ, it's not like he is just abandoning us and leaving us alone so that we can that we're going to be crushed under all of this but he is actually sealing us for the day of salvation when we will be before him forever and serve him day and night and we and there will be no hunger or thirst or pain or scorching heat because in verse 17 for the lamb in the, is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes and that really is our hope in the midst of this, that even if we are suffering because of what God has sent, he is also going to comfort us in the midst of all of it. Amen. I can't top that, Zoan. It's time for another break. We'll be right... Oh, God. okay. I mean, I, I know it's time for a break, but, you know, I'm basically setting this all the way up as a way of making a seventh seal joke. So <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring in them sweet 80s movies and whenever we can here, right? That's right. <laughs> See Zellwin with the with the random references now. Adam Koontz is on watch. <laughs> well, all right, we'll be right back with more word fitly.
The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God is the center of our faith life. Join us every Thursday for a new podcast available on iTunes and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us on Twitter at WordFitly. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash WordFitly. And check out our website, wordfitlyspoken.org. We thank you for listening and stay tuned for more WordFitly Spoken. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, Hilary Zell and Heidi, talking about plagues, Christian suffering, and, of course, 80s horror movies, which we have a correction to issue. <laughs> it is the seventh sign that is the 1988 Demi Moore horror film that you probably rented on VHS way back when. The seventh seal is Max von Sydow playing chess with uh, death. So very <laughs> different film. Very different well, film. It was it was it was a Swedish film, so maybe I just have a natural affinity to it. That, so. That's exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Scandinavians! What do we do? They don't have enough words. <laughs> oh, good so anyway, times. we we don't want to we don't want to be accused of not getting our facts straight in these in these days of fact checking. <laughs> well, anyway, are there any Bible verses then that? inform us about how a Christian might respond to suffering or might respond to concerns about their future or their security? Uh, all kinds of them. I mean, <laughs> the Bible is literally filled with them. I'm, I mean, you're just, I I mean, wh- which one do you want to start with, I guess, is the, is the easier question. What, what's, what's your favorite? <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you're talking about, you know, just that anxiety, you could always turn towards the Sermon on the Mount you know, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Let tomorrow be anxious for itself. God is in control of all things. I think that's a a good one to to go to. You could also turn to any of the numerous promises in the prophets, you know, when saying that even though you must suffer and go away into exile, God is going to bring back his remnant, you know, because, well, that, that famous passage from Jeremiah, he has a plan for you. Which, of course, is always misinterpreted as just being generally positive, but is actually saying, yes, I do have a plan for you. It's going to be involve a lot of suffering, but I will come back around and, you know, work all good things for you for good. That kind of thing. Well, and then that's another one, you know, Romans, you know, that all things work together for good for those who love him. So which one do you want to start with? <laughs> it's a tough call. We suffer for different reasons. Not all of our suffering is directly related to what we do. The opposite is also true. Uh, sometimes it is directly related to what we do. And right. uh, so when you look at certain, like John 9, for example, why might that be applicable here? Well, John 9 is applicable because, for one thing, I think it gets abused mightily. But when they're asking the question to Jesus of who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind— Jesus responds to him and says, it's not that he sinned but that, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I think it's worth pointing out, first of all, that this passage is not saying that, you know, that God never sends disaster because of sin. 
or that God never, you know, visits sins upon uh, children that because of their parents. I mean, I, you could think of any number of passages again in the scriptures. I mean, think of of the the son of David uh, by, by the first son of David by Bathsheba, who is put to death because of David's right. adultery. <laughs> think you about uh, all of us uh, living who are sons of Adam who die <laughs> <laughs> because of the sin of one man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So what Jesus is saying here is not that, you know, that God never visits sin upon us or that these things are not, in fact, judgments. What he's saying here is that this particular suffering is happening so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And as a result of him, uh, many might come to faith, which is exactly what happens. They see this man sees Jesus. He comes to faith and others come to faith through him. So God uses our suffering as a, I mean, for his own purposes. Again, we don't want to explain away suffering, which I think is our temptation in these days, especially when we come to things, you know, like we said in the first section of saying, oh, the devil did it or God, you know, it's different because we're in the New Testament or anything like that. No, that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is just saying as, well, as God does in Exodus chapter, what is that, three uh, with the burning bush. Mm-hmm. You know, who is it that made man deaf, blind, or mute? Is it not I, the Lord? This is God's work for his purposes, and he will raise us up for his purposes. And we may not be able to understand those purposes. We may not be able to see them right now, but we know that God is working good through us and through our suffering. I think the the readings for last Sunday were particularly applicable to this kind of situation, what we're dealing with, and then really just plague and pestilence throughout history. If you're using the one-year lectionary, your Old Testament reading was probably Exodus 16. I know the Old Testament readings right. can get a little wonky sometimes. And and your and your gospel was John 6. Right. And you have the Israelites literally being fed from heaven. Right. <laughs> being, and God saying, okay, I'm going to take care of you but only take as much as you need. And what did the Jews do? They <laughs> didn't listen. And right. so the food rotted. And you got to listen to God. God is going to provide, but you have to obey what he says. Very right. interesting. And I mean, there's just, there's a hoarding sermon right there. <laughs> and then in John 6, we have Jesus feeding the multitude. And there is abundant food left. Everyone eats and has plenty. So you, you have God in two instances miraculously providing food. And especially in the Old Testament, though, there is an admonishment to really remain faithful. Because what it right. shows when they don't listen to God is, is a lack of faith. Right, right. How much, you know, I mean, y- y- you think about it like, well, <laughs> why wouldn't they listen? They're seeing this miracle from heaven daily happening. Why, why would they turn? Well, that's they're, that's how they are, and that's how we are. And so, in a way, it can be harder when you don't have that miracle too to trust that God will will provide things. But He is today, and He continues to do to do so through means. And so, we mentioned truckers, right, and cashiers mm-hmm. a few minutes ago. Well, this is the means that God is using to provide for us in these times. Farmers too. I uh, don't want to shortchange the farmers. Really, the only person I'm not giving credit right now are like hedge fund managers and stockbrokers, those kinds of people. <laughs> you could make the case, you know, but I'm going to be more Paul Harvey for the next little bit. Uh, 
<laughs> so forgive me. Well, I mean, I think I think there's something to be said too between those two readings, between uh, Exodus 16 and also between John 6, in that the Israelites in the wilderness in the days of Moses are called to basically, like you said, to have faith, but have faith in such a way that they are being basically being said, don't gather anything for tomorrow. You're literally going to be living day by day from what God is providing for you. So put, you know, put up no store at all for the coming day, except of course, you know, for the Sabbath, but that's an exceptional case. But to trust in God that he's going to give them food every single day takes a tremendous amount of faith. It really does. Faith, which Israel in in those days, frankly, didn't have, which is why they're stumbling and falling all the time. But then it's not in conflict then, even with Jesus in John 6, giving them more than what they need, because even if God is giving us our daily bread, he's giving us exactly what we need. It doesn't mean that he's stingy in his graces. This doesn't mean that he's, you know, just kind of miserly. It just means that we are called to trust him and he will actually give us far more than what we need. But how often do we struggle with that too and become faithless and think, you know, we, you know, we don't want to trust God to take care of us day by day, but we think that we kind of have to do it for ourselves. Well, Zoan, my next question for you then is, are we living in the end times? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we have been for 2,000 years. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, these latter days. I right. Mean, but, the, but the age of the Spirit, I should right. say. And that is, but that is not to soften the truth that Christ's return is imminent. Right. And that it is later than we think. And that every day it grows closer. Every second hand ticking on a clock is crying out that Jesus Christ will return. Right. I said it was going to end on a not on a gloomy note. Here we here we go. This is the tricky thing. We are living in the last days and there are signs. Signs all around us, but those signs have been from the beginning too. And so on the one hand there are people right now who are saying, "Okay, this is it. This is finally the big one." And there are others that are like, "Eh, well, Bad things happen, but everything's going to keep turning. And I think the truth is really somewhere in between, and that's just to be vigilant no matter what the present circumstance is. Right. Uh, Does Christ prophesy any signs of the end times? Well, of course. I mean, we have the signs of of the the fall of Jerusalem, for example, is one of the signs of the end. You have the... uh, the sign of the well, I mean, from Revelation that we were reading earlier about all of the things which are happening in the world, the things that we are seeing even now, you know, even in in smaller forms, I think is is signs of the end. But maybe, and maybe this is what I'm trying to emphasize too. You know, you you said you don't want to end on a gloomy note, but I don't think we have to think of the end as a gloomy note. I think it's very easy to think of the end as gloomy as kind of a, uh, oh, we're, we're coming to the end of all things, and ooh, how scary that is. But, you know, yes, we should take it seriously. Yes, we should be vigilant. But at the same time, we are looking forward to Christ's complete victory in all of this. Yes. You know, we are looking forward to the end of all things, yes, but that also means the end of all things that oppress us. Right. Which I I think should cause anyone to rejoice, right? Yeah, right. And, and our end times talk is not, to, to just to scare you 
just for the sake right. of doing so, uh, because there there is hope, and there we know the outcome, and yeah, there will be pain in the meantime, you know, and we could sit here and speculate about the mechanics of the end and how it all goes down, but we ultimately don't know a whole lot. I mean, we right. can speculate on who the Antichrist will be, if you want to. <laughs> Like as we're confessionally bound to, or as we're con- yeah, exactly. Like, are we confessionally bound to like only one antichrist? That's that's a, there's a question. You know what do we do with that one? Now we are going to get letters, but oh man, hey, I mean, although this pope really gets the noggin jogging, he is a Jesuit after all. That's so- right. Do you believe that there will be a mass deception in the end days? I I think you're seeing it, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, and I guess we we sh- I want to be clear when I say the end days. You know, I tend to think of the end days as what we're living in right now, the yeah. age of the spirit, the sure. end of the sure. end of all time. So there there has always been mass deception in a sense, but and I think what you're you're getting at is is the end in the sense of like the end, the end when that kind of intensification of all of this right before. Right, Christ right. Comes. And to be fair, folks, I didn't tell him I was going to ask him all this. I just, shoot, I'm just <laughs> shooting it at him right now. <laughs> We're going off the cuff with this yeah. one. So, <laughs> so I mean, yes, I do think that there will be an intensification at the very end. You know, when basically when the 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 devils see this these this all of this coming to an end, and they can see the end, kind of they they rec- they realize that their time is short, and so they're basically trying to. Get, do as much as they can in the time that they think that they still have left. But Christ is still ultimately going to be victorious. And I, I can't emphasize that enough in the in the face of all of this that is currently oppressing us. You know, are we dealing with difficult times right now? Absolutely we are. But Christ is alive and he will reign victorious over all things. Did this come from his hand? Yes, it did come from his hand but he is still the king of all creation and all things work together for good for those who love him. So we should not think of the end of all times when Christ comes to judge living of the dead as a defeat because it's not. Christ is going to give us back everything that we have lost and more. I mean, again, I'm the reason I'm kind of going on and on about this is again, since I've been preaching on Joel, this is really kind of the point of that book, you know, that even though they were suffering much now, like the grasshoppers and all and uh, coming upon them, God was going to restore them and give back to them the things that they had lost. So they shouldn't see it as a defeat, you know, or that they're losing everything in this, but that God is actually going to bring something more than they could possibly even imagine out of the day of the Lord. And how much more do we see that in Christ himself, you know, the great day of the Lord, when Christ himself died for us, and yet God has rained down on us something far greater in giving us the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just, it's just a marvelous thing. But I'm kind of going on now. So what do you want to no, say? No, no, it's all, it's all very good. No, <laughs> this is absolutely right. And, and, and yet, remember, our call to remain faithful. Right. The Lord says, uh, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We can romanticize a little bit um, the idea that persecution or, tr- excuse me, trial rather, will necessarily make more Christians. And I don't know if that's the case. I don't think it makes more. I think it makes 
individual Christians stronger. So we don't want to pray for persecution. It's kind of like exposing yourself to a plague intentionally. It's not a good idea. And, and it's virtually, <laughs> it's, it's borders on sinful. Um, and it, it may well be sinful depending on why you're doing it or how it <laughs> comes about. So we don't pray for persecution, but we pray for strength because we know that trial and tribulation will come and that the forces who are against God, not just the devil, but the people of the world and, and, and such, they will do what they can to exploit uh, these weaknesses. They are going to, to work against us. And so what then is the antidote? What is our weapon, so to speak, or our, even our nourishment during times of tribulation? Let's see. What does the Bible say? <laughs> right, the living exactly. word of God. <laughs> exactly. So, so we turn to God's word and, and God's promises. And it, it really is that simple. And I do think, though, that it, that it has to be a discipline that's cultivated. And that prayer is is essential to this. It, it, it's a pretty good habit um, that we've lost uh, where we pray before we begin to study the Bible. And I think that that's kind of fallen by the wayside. And uh, maybe that's something we need to recover. We we need to pray that we not be deceived during all this. And there are, and I say this now as there as everybody is on the internet right now. Seems like every pastor is streaming. Or doing something. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of good stuff out there. Also a lot of poison. And so we, we would just, we want to be careful there. And I mean, I can't come in and I'm not going to give you a list of approved podcasts or approved whatever. That's not my, <laughs> that's not my vocation, but it would be wise to pray that, you know, we would, that as we study the scripture or as we listen to a teacher, that uh, we be edified by the teaching or that God give us a the discernment, the gift of discernment when uh, when dealing with uh, false teachers and that sort of thing. It might it would also be good to pray for patience in the midst of trial. Yeah, you know because yeah. like now now we need David on here to do some more Hebrews posting. But you know describing all of this as discipline, you know as spiritual discipline, which is meant for our good, which is meant to bear good spiritual fruit in the future, mind you, but to bear fruit nonetheless. I think is something, and we should pray for patience in the midst of that, because it's not easy to bear. It's not always an easy thing right. to do. And, and the temptation for many right now, uh, I mean, and not just in like a time of quarantine or something like that. The temptation, though, is is to find comfort or, or rather escape from the present stress through other means. So right. they want to alter themselves, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or any other thing. That is a dangerous place to find yourself in, especially if you're not moving. <laughs> you know, if you're just right. That sounds like I'm endorsing drinking and driving. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying when you have to stay in just one, like home, most of the time for several days, it's not good to start binging. Is my point. I'm right. not saying drink as long as you move, then you'll be okay. That's not really how that works. Yeah, do all the drugs you want. Just do some jumping jacks. Do some cardio. You'll be fine. That's not. That's not the point. The point. The point really is is to crack open a nice Canada Dry, get out your favorite Bible, and you know, and, and, and go for it. And go See, for it. You are advocating for substance abuse of some kind, but it's just Canada Dry. Listen, um, Canada Dry. We want your sponsorship if you're out there. I think I'm single handedly keeping it afloat. To be honest with you. <laughs> Although 
it, it does make me think of, you know, we're talking about, you know, getting through this present distress or whatever. I have seen all kinds of advertisements for like mindfulness exercises, which sure. is really just Buddhism in disguise. <laughs> right. So, I mean, this it's out there, you know, people saying, you know, oh, here's a way to deal with your stress. Here's a, da- a way to deal with your insecurity or this fear that you feel and, you know, insert whatever practice, you know, this false practice that you want. No, what we need to do is what God is calling us to do, which is to turn to him in prayer, to turn to his word, to repent and to come back to him because he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins. Very good. Well, Zelwyn, we're about out of time. Any last words before we wrap it up? I guess as a, a, a way of closing it all up, I would just say, you know, I'd just emphasize again, you know, be in the word, you know, don't give in to panic and fear, but turn to towards the one who is our fortress in the midst of trouble. You know, like Psalm 46 says, you know, God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, be still and know that I am God. And if we do that, I think we will find a peace that surpasses anything that this earth can give us. Amen. Thank you so much, Zelwyn. That's all for today, folks. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi. God love you, and God bless. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren, that they should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Then the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island removed out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand?